Napa know-how. Right now, Napa Legend batteries come with a $15 rebate by mail. Their long-lasting durability stands up to extreme conditions. So even on scorching days, it'll puff its chest out and be all like, hey, summer heat, find another car battery to drain. Napa Legend batteries with $15 mail-in rebate. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer expires 831.18. Blog Talk Radio. Stradamus, Papa Houts, Houts the Candyman, Houts the Creeper with the white hand handing out candy, and any other thing you could possibly think of for this dude, because, I don't know, just felt like ragging on you, Houts, to start the show today. Um, so, we're back, we're back, and we're better than ever. Last week, we were hijacked a bit by the none other than Kevin Noble, the owner of the Finsider.com, and when the owner called the owner calls in, and there ain't nothing you can do about that, boys, right? It's like Stephen Ross, you know, Stephen Ross calling Adam Gates in the office, and Stephen Ross telling Adam Gates, listen, I want you to go in this direction. Adam Gates can't say much about it if he wants to keep his job, right? <laughs> Taco Charlton. What was that? I said, like, Taco Charlton when they were about to draft him. If Harris wasn't there, I think that was Stephen That's Ross, right? right? Yeah. Who knows what Stephen Ross said in the draft room? What, what was interesting, though, was this. And we didn't touch on this last week, and I totally forgot about it. But Adam Gase was not in the war room. Um, I had mentioned this on Twitter, and some people started freaking out at me. Like, who cares if he's not in the war room, right? Um, but I was, I'm pretty sure every head coach in the NFL is in the war room for at least the first round. Maybe not round six and seven, but definitely for the first round. But Tannenbaum and Greer kind of confirmed that in their press conference uh, afterwards by saying that Gase was texting them, you know, and as the pick got closer, he entered the draft room. And at first I was, I was a little peeved because I'm like, well, why isn't the head coach in the draft room? But I'm thinking about it. You know, I thought about it a little more. And I actually think it's kind of a brilliant idea, right? You don't see, obviously, Tannenbaum and Greer on the sideline with an air shot of Gase, right? Gase, obviously, is a football coach first. I don't think he put time into watching film uh, of players coming out of college or, I mean, the ones that the Dolphins are targeting. Yes, absolutely. But in terms of watching the whole gauntlet of players, obviously he's not going to do something like that. So the more I'm thinking about this, I'm like, this is actually genius. You know, he's staying out of the room. Let them do their thing. As the pick gets closer, obviously go into the room. But all the other coaches are in a different room. Hell, even the regional scouts are in a different room than the war room, for those who don't know that. Uh, very few teams allow their regional scouts to be in the actual war room with them during the draft. They're off to a separate room. The coaches are off to a separate room except the head coach. But this year, Adam Gase uh, apparently joined his other coaches, and I think that's the right thing to do. What do you guys have to say about that, House? We'll start with you. Yeah, man, that's some good knowledge, man. i am never been in a war room. I never will be, so it's good to hear those things. 
I mean, for me, I think it's awesome. I mean, I, I don't see any reason why it needs to be in there. I mean, I was at the draft, and me personally, the anxiety I felt, I could not imagine what a team getting ready to draft that player or oh think this God. guy that they are, they are really into is going to fall to them. I mean, I, I was pacing back and forth just waiting to see who the Dolphins pick. So, you can only imagine how Adam Gase felt. I mean, I have no issue with him, you know, like you said, stepping stepping outside the room and then coming in closer to when the pick is. And, I mean, these guys, they know who they're targeting. I think Adam Gase kind of had a feeling who the players were and – there really wasn't much reason for him to be in that room other than when the Dolphins were on the clock. So, I mean, it's I'm, I have no issue with it at all. I, I completely understand where Adam Gates is coming from because me personally, as a fan, I was the anxiety was sky high. So, no issue at all with this. Uh, and before you jump in here, um, you know, I, I was a Little League coach for about 10 years, and I ran a Little League here in my local hometown for about 10 years. And – this is going to sound weird, but anyone who's ever coached Little League or anything else where you have a draft, I mean, the anxiety for that is is pretty big because you obviously want the players who you want to make your team the best that it could possibly be. But maybe to relate it to everyone listening a little better, I mean, even if you're fantasy drafts, right? Your fantasy drafts, yeah. you pay a lot of money to enter a league, even if you pay a league. You're sitting there and you're wondering who you're going to get. You're getting anxiety as your pick gets closer and closer and the guy you want is falling and falling. And that anxiety just builds and the stakes are higher as you pay more. And then in the NFL, when your job depends on it, only imagine when you set your targets on the board and then things start happening. And I don't think I'd be able to handle that kind of anxiety, which is why I'm sitting behind a computer right now, talking to it and and doing a podcast (laughs) for the insider.com. Pressure here, right boys? That's right. But Sutton, your thoughts on Adam Gates not being in the war room with the rest of the Dolphins? I mean, I think with technology these days, I don't think it's a huge deal. You could FaceTime in real time about, you know, if there's any kind of tricky situation that you didn't think out with all your decision models earlier in the draft. So I don't think his literal physical presence is necessary in the war room. I do think his mind is necessary for – what transpires throughout the draft. Um, But I think another interesting layer to all this, and we've talked about this a little bit leading up to this, is the increased power that Gates is supposed to have over the personnel. And it's interesting that he took this approach, which I think is kind of an Adam Gates move to put the spotlight on Chris Greer and put the spotlight on Tannenbaum. You know, they are, you know, Adam Gates is obviously intimately involved in all the decisions that happen with the personnel there. But the fact that he takes that back seat, he doesn't even go into the war room. He trusts, that's the key word there, he trusts the other people to make the right decisions. I think that's that's something powerful, and that's something that, uh, Gase has shown the ability to do is not only motivate players, but it seems like he's kind of trending towards motivating his peers and his predecessors even. So I, I like the move. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I don't want to start any rumors because there are no rumors to start. I mean, Tannenbaum, Greer, and Gase get along perfectly fine. They get along very well. That wasn't always the case when they started off 0-4, right? I can tell you right now that wasn't the case. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and exactly, you know, best friends at that point. But then Gay started taking and did what he wanted to do. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And again, I'm not starting any rumors. So those in the live thread right now, those listening on Twitter and those listening to the replay of this, don't come finding me on the internet and yelling at me for, for saying this. But is this possibly self-preservation in terms of a job in two to three years? Let's say the rails fall off in year three, right? Or year four, right? And Adam Gase distancing himself from the draft room, from the war room, and, and from the draft. He can easily go to Stephen Ross and say, listen, these aren't the players I picked. I'm doing one hell of a job coaching up these players, but these aren't my guys. You know, these are the guys that Greer and Tannenbaum picked. And maybe I would have picked someone differently, but maybe I wouldn't have. But I think that's a way for Gase to maybe say, it's not all on me. I didn't shop the gro- shop for the groceries in the draft. Yeah, I have control over the 53-man roster, but I didn't pick these guys coming into the NFL. Thoughts on that? Yeah, Brian. that's – that's possible, yeah, not... but I also I, I I just think that if something like that happened, I don't think we'd ever actually know about it. You know, it would always right. be handled behind closed doors. So even if that question was, you know, however valid it is, we would never have the real information we needed to confirm that or not. So. That's, yeah, I, I guess that's a different way of saying it's kind of a pointless thing to pursue. I, I, I don't really – I mean, none of us know Adam Gates personally, but from what we've seen, I mean, he's not that type of person in my opinion. I think the players that they're trying to bring in, these are all guys that love football, uh, good characters, uh, and, I mean, they're just players that want to come in here and they just want to work and continue to get better. They seem to be Adam Gates guys. So, I mean, I see what you're saying 100%. I mean, if something – if the shit does hit the fan, I mean, Adam Gates could use this as a – as a way of saying, save me and, and fire the other guys. But that to me just doesn't seem to be Adam Gase. And just to touch on one thing, I mean, you brought up how Adam Gase not being that war room similar to us in fantasy drafts. I mean, I think that's, that's as close to the, the real deal as you can get. And I think that's pretty much, I mean, we sit there, like you said, you got all this money on the line. You're waiting for this player to fall to you. I mean, Adam Gase, that times 100 is how he was feeling. So I can understand exactly why he wasn't in the war room at the time. Yeah, and again, not starting any rumors, guys, or anyone listening, just playing devil's advocate here. I don't think that's what Adam Gaze said to himself. Well, I'm going to say out of the draft room so I could blame them in two to three years. That's absolutely not true. But maybe yeah. just a just a, a consequence of it down the road, a trickle-down effect that he can look back and say, well, this I mean, it is, it is definitely something to think about in the same way yeah. Christian McCaffrey sitting out of bowl games. I mean, that, that adds a whole new layer of – things to question as prospects enter the draft and, you know, and as teams approach the draft, there's going to be little nuances like that that evolve. So I think it was a great question to consider, MC Money. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, MC Money. I mean, for me, I think if the shit hits the fan, throw Tannenbaum, throw Greer, throw him to the side, man. Adam Gase is our guy. So that's how I feel anyway. Absolutely. All right, let's talk draft. Last week we were talking about rounds one through three, right? We talked about Charles Harris. We gave a little scouting report on him. We talked about Raekwon McMillan. I told I told everyone how at the beginning of round two, I, w- I got a text from somebody and said they have their guy. And I wasn't told the name, but I was told that they have a specific target in mind in round two. And when Raekwon was selected, I got that text and I said that was their guy. 
And so, so they targeted Raekwon the entire time in round two, and they got who they wanted to get. Round three. Help me out here. Oh, that's right. Tankersley. Tankersley. I had a brain fart there. They drafted the cornerback who, who you, you know, Byron Maxwell has injuries. Xavier Howard has injuries. Tony Lippa has injuries. It's going to be a very interesting competition and see how Tankersley shapes out there. But let's dive into rounds five, six, and seven. If you remember, the Dolphins did not have a fifth-round pick. A fourth-round pick. I'm sorry. They did not have a fourth-round pick. So round five, number 164, we saw a run on offensive uh, linemen taking place right before the Dolphins moved up two spots to give up uh, uh, some late-round picks this year. With that pick, when they moved up uh, from 166 to 164, they drafted Isaac Asiata. Uh, from Utah. And, and leading up to the draft, Barry Jackson, the Miami Herald, and others had Isaac Asiata as a prime target from the Miami Dolphins in terms of someone they were targeting, and they got their guy again. Uh, we don't know who else was above him, but this was a specific target of theirs and someone that they liked and, and coveted, and, and they got who they wanted to get. They could have went guard in any of the first three rounds, right? Because with the way the draft worked out in round one, I'm just looking at my board here. The first offensive lineman taken was, um, let's see, 20th overall by the Broncos, Garrett Bowles. He was an offensive tackle. After that, the next offensive lineman taken was Ryan Ramzik at 32 overall by the Saints, another offensive tackle. Then Cam Robinson by the Jaguars, another offensive tackle, round two, pick two. And then Forrest Lamp, finally, round two, overall pick number 38. So the Dolphins had a chance to draft Forrest Lamp, who they were targeted and linked to leading up to the NFL draft. They passed on him for Charles Harris. And I think everyone would agree that Charles Harris, I think at least on paper is the better pick right now. But again, after that, so then Miami picked number 54 overall, there wasn't a single offensive lineman picked between Forrest Lamp and the Dolphins picking. They could have drafted Ethan Postick. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks drafted him four spots later after Miami They could have drafted Deion Dawkins, who the Bills selected, uh, about 10 spots later. And then after that, uh, Taylor Martin went, offensive tackle. Then Dean Feeney, offensive guard, went. And Patrick Elfline went, offensive guard as well in the third round, picks number 70 and 71, respectively. So, again, they had their chances to draft those guys, and they passed up, again, for Requan McMillan in the second round. Then they drafted Cordrea Tankersley in the third round. After... Uh, Elfline went. There was no other offensive guard uh, drafted. Offensive tackle Antonio Garcia went to the Patriots. Round three, pick number 85 overall. The Dolphins picked pick three, number, number 97 overall. After that, we didn't see an offensive guard go until Dorian Johnson went to the Arizona Cardinals. Round four, pick number 115. So again, the Dolphins could have easily traded down. I'm sure they had trade uh, offers on the table for that. They did not bite. So it looks like to me that the Dolphins really did get someone who they like very highly, okay? So this is a very safe pick for the Dolphins, in my opinion. He's wearing number 68. It's funny because when I was watching film of him in a house, uh, he reminded me of Richie Incognito, just the toughness that he has. And, of course, he's going to get Incognito's uh, former number when he was on the team. So Asiata is a guard slash center, which is good because – when Mike Pouncey does go down, and I, you notice I do say does go down, because he will go down. I will bet lots of money on it, just not with anyone listening to me. Uh, his versatility should enable him to make the 53-man roster without much issue. 
he should be a starter day one. So, and your thoughts on Isaac Asiata, the man who balled in tears when he was drafted by the Dolphins. Yeah, what a great scene to see him so moved by us uh, moving up to select him. Seems like a great young man. The plays you see on film, some of those, the the plays that jump out, I mean, my goodness. And his quote kind of encapsulated it perfectly. Something along the lines of intelligence and brutality. I mean, you just see him seeking people out to just destroy What's interesting about this pick, though, and you you said it earlier, MC Money, his name has been connected with us, and it's I like the name because that's the name of my first child. But anyway, it's an interesting fit because it seems like he fits more with that power, uh, that the the power blocking scheme, and not so much the zone blocking scheme. And we seem to be more of a zone read type team last year with the the run play calls that we had. So it's interesting to see how he's going to kind of adapt to what might be uh, some new um, terminology, obviously, but some new techniques that he's going to have to learn. So it's going to be interesting how quickly he learns that stuff. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he wins this competition. I really do think it's going to be a competition. I think Bushrod's going to be the right guard. I think he's pretty safe there. And I think you're going to have a left guard competition between Asiata and Steen and Urbic. And you're just going to see how it all plays out after that. So um, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Isaac Asiata is the starting left guard for the Dolphins. Although it would be great for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, first thing I want to say is happy birthday, Anthony Steen. I just saw it pop up on Twitter a little bit ago. Apparently it's his birthday, so happy birthday to him. Uh, for me, I do agree with Sutton. I do think it's going to be a battle. I do think these guys are going to it's going to be let the best man win. But, I mean, I, I'm not guard expert or a guru like you guys might quick try to say I am because I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I know Sutton's feeling on Bushrod. He likes the, the gaping holes that he opens. Up and I think Bushrod does a great job. Oh, so massive! Yeah, yeah, those massive holes that he opens up. But for me, I mean, Isaac Asiata—he's that—he's got that grit to him. I mean, you see him pancaking dude, just pushing him into oblivion. I mean, I would have liked to see him wear number sixty-nine. Maybe that's just me, but I mean, you get to see him wear uh, Incognito's old number. He does definitely remind you of him with the—I mean, uh, oh man, the face paint. I really want to see him wear the face paint at the next level. For me, I think Isaac. Isaac Asiata, I think he's going to be the Dolphins' left guard, but I definitely think it's going to be a battle. But he's been a guy that the Dolphins seem to be going after throughout the entire draft process. So to to see him fall there to the fifth round, I mean, I do those fan-speak mock drafts, and for what it's worth, that guy was going in the third or fourth round. I mean, I know that's just some bullshit computer program, but, I mean, he was a good get it with the fifth uh, in the fifth round. I think he's definitely a starter in, in the league, so. I'm I'm anxious to see what he does, and I think it's going to be a battle to see who gets that left guard spot. And yeah, interesting, you said something about the eye black there, House, because yeah, he he said something in the media about, like, I'm not going to do that yet. I don't think yep. I've earned that right. Yeah, so it, it already yeah. seems like he has a – yeah, he already has a humility about himself. So if Absolutely. it doesn't pan out, it's not because he didn't work hard enough or he didn't have his mind focused on things. I mean, that's – the least of my concerns with this guy. 
Right. So I am looking at his exact quote right now about that, and this is what he said uh, verbatim. This is his actual quote. The question was, are you going to keep the face painting up? He says this, probably. I feel like now I'm a rookie. Those are the kind of things you have to earn. I can't just show up and expect everything to just come to me. Those are things you have to earn. They put me in 68. I plan on earning that jersey number. Just because they give me something doesn't mean I'm going to take it. Now earning it. And this is what he said about the face paint. Quote, I've been doing that since Little League. That's like the, I don't know. It started out just kind of my deal. I loved it. That's kind of my trademark thing. There's no real reason behind it. I just did a line across my face because my high school mascot was a Don. It's kind of like a Zorro, and he wears that mask. That was really the only inspiration behind that. And then I kind of just did more traditional war paint and some other stuff around my eyes. But the fans like it, and I like it. It's kind of my identity thing. So I think he was saying the right things in the media at the time, but I do think come week one, we will see that face paint on his face. Maybe not in preseason per se, but I think once we see week one hit in the regular season, we will see that face paint, and I think he's going to become a fan favorite very quickly. I hope so. For yeah, sure. and, and this this other thing was interesting about what he said about Adam Gase. They asked what was it, what was Isaac's first impression of, of head coach Adam Gase, and this is what Asiata said. He's awesome. He's not your traditional head coach. A traditional head coach is kind of a stern, hard dude, and I'm not saying that's not Coach Gase, but he's a guy. You can relate to him. He's very open. He's a very approachable guy. It's kind of intimidating for players, and I feel like players know that when you walk past the head coach or somebody in the hallway, it's kind of intimidating. You don't want to do that one thing wrong. You don't want him to think a certain way about you, but I just passed him on my way in here, and he just, like I said, he's an approachable guy. I love him as a head coach. I'm excited to be working for him, and that was one of the reasons why Adam Gates right, because he can relate to the players. He's approachable. The players love playing for him, and he draws the respect from everyone that he's around. So we're going to see how this shakes out. Clyde Christensen said that the confidence level, they're very high in, in Tunsil. He can excel at tackle. And it's basically, you know, Bushrod's going to comp- compete. Larson's going to compete. And Asiata is going to compete. And basically that's going to be it, which is what we thought all along when we did the podcast, when we did our show, um, Leading up to the draft months ago, we said it's going to be Bushrod, it's going to be Larson, it's going to be a rookie tack, a rookie guard competing for those two starting spots. So we will see how that shakes out, but I don't think Asiata um, will be on the bench long. If he does not have started to begin the season, he will be a starter uh, by the end of the season for sure. But I do think he makes that starting lineup week one. All right, let's move on. Uh, 12, uh, 14 picks later, the Dolphins picked – Devon Gottschalk's defensive tackle from Louisiana State University, otherwise known as LSU. And, again, round five, pick number 178. I'm going to say the X is silent. I haven't gotten the phonetical spelling. No, no, you you actually did it right the first time, MC Money, with Gottschalk. Very good. Like, you're horrible with names. I love you to death, but you suck with names. Yeah, Godshot, dude, you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> wow. So now you guys are going to tell me how you really feel after doing this for only a year with you guys, and now you're going to. I, gonna... I, just I to... mean, we just we love you, bro. Just we just, just got to the bullshit. We just get right to it. Yeah, well, you should probably. Once. You probably should have done that last <laughs> August. <laughs> no, you I mean, we. I mean, we could just stop the it show takes right now. It takes a life but... experience to get over those hurdles, you know. We can we can we can just stop the show right now. 
There are ten we're just, of we're just bro hugging out. Right now. Do not do that. <laughs> All right. God, God Chalks was uh, <laughs> plus 15, and Asiata was a plus 33 on Mike's board here. But, uh, how, what do you think about God Chalks? Yeah, I mean, Sutton and I, thanks to him, we collaborated on an article for him. Uh, I was thinking about it earlier. Have you guys ever made shoe fly pie where you use molasses? Like, if you tilt that bottle upside down, that's pretty much Godshaw when he's trying to get off the line. I mean, the, the guy's slow as shit. He, he doesn't seem to accelerate fast off the line. I mean, he's a big dude, great against the run, seems to be able to get to the passer, but his first step just seems to be uh, two to three seconds behind everyone else. I mean, I think between him and Vincent Taylor and – Jordan Phillips, I think the Dolphins can definitely find someone suitable there to rotate out next to Ndamukong Sue, but I mean, it's anyone's guess to which one of these guys might end up making the 53-man roster. I, I like him. I think he definitely has potential, but like I said, that that first step, I mean, he just seems to, he, the ball snapped and it takes a couple seconds, at least on tape from what we have saw. I mean, we watched two two to five games. I mean, he, he just seems to be a little bit slower than everyone else. All right. Well, you guys yeah, have I mean, a defensive tackle guru, so and, uh, continue with your analysis of Gotcha. Yeah, like he said, we kind of looked at the tape together this time, something we – it's kind of a new approach yep. that we wanted to try to see <laughs> if we could get a little more perspective on things. We really kind of arrived at the same conclusion that, that the burst off the snap is just pretty poor. But when he does time the snap well – when yep. he does kind of – when those football instincts kind of kick in, he can make some monster splash plays, and I think that's why the Dolphins drafted him because there's some splash plays on tape where you're like, damn, like he just completely blows the offensive line out of the water like they're not even there. And then you see seven plays in a row like his feet are stuck in quicksand. So <laughs> it's definitely an inconsistency thing with Godshaw. So – if they can some kind of, you know, if they can bottle up what he's good at and be able to cultivate that in a in a rotational type of way because clearly he's going to be um, a third, fourth, even fifth defensive tackle with this group. But if he can work his way into the rotation and find some kind of niche in a pass rushing capacity, I think that's going to be a good thing for him. Might be able to help him stick with the team longer. All right. So – I think the Dolphins had similar concerns because uh, just about less than 20 picks later, they drafted another defensive tackle by yeah. the name of Vincent Taylor, tackle from Oklahoma State. And my first reaction of Vincent Taylor when they drafted him was like, damn, this dude is freaking huge. Uh, just looking at pictures of him, <laughs> it's insane how big this guy is. And some were saying that, oh, this is competition for Jordan Phillips. This is a message to Jordan Phillips. And I'm not so sure that is the case. When you're drafting guys at the end of the fifth, early sixth round, I don't think you're, you're telling a second-round pick, Matt, is your job that is in danger. But I think right. it, does, it does set the tone saying, listen, Jordan, you have this season to shape up. You have training camp to get better. You have the regular season to stay more consistent. If you don't, we have depth behind you, and we're going to start the process of getting you the hell out of here. That is the way I'm looking at it. I don't think it's an immediate threat, but I think it's a subtle message to Jordan Phillips that you need to get going here, buddy, because he's been inconsistent. Well, 
Dolphins coaches called him out as inconsistent in their post-draft press conference, and he needs to just get better. Right. We kind of had a crisis of bodies there, too, so we needed to kind of draft yeah. two defensive tackles. We had what? We had Sue, we had him, and then we had what a Koye and maybe like one other dude in the background. Like that's just not enough tra- even training camp bodies. So it was a crisis mm-hmm. of bodies and talent. And it really, you kind of alluded to it already, it all hinges on Jordan Phillips, in my opinion, and his maturation this year. Because if it doesn't happen this year, it's hard to tell when or if it will happen. Yeah, and, and I think that's a lot of what it has to do with this is maturity. I mean, I think he has all the skills in the world. I think he has all the talent there. I think it's just him bringing it all together. And I, I, I don't want to say it, but, I mean, just getting pushed to that next level. I mean, you see – the coaching staff, what they're saying about Devontae Parker right now, I mean, that's what you want to see from Jordan Phillips. You want to see him take that next step. You're against the Dominic. You're alongside Sue. you got Cameron Wake on the outside, Andre Branch, Charles Harris. I mean, I'm pretty sure one of us, if, or the two of us, tag team together next to Dominic Sue. We get a couple sacks. We get a couple tackles. I mean, Jordan Phillips needs to take the next step, and I think uh, these two players coming in there, I think one of them is going to add to the rotation, and I think they're also going to help push Jordan Phillips to become that player that the Dolphins thought he'd be when they drafted him in the second round. I, I do believe when he was drafted, people thought he was a first-round talent that maybe fell to the second round. But so far, I've not seen that. And I do think that he needs to take that next step and he needs to be pushed there. And like you both said, if he doesn't make it this year, I, I don't know what Jordan Phillips has to offer this team. Yeah, so, so talking about, you know, Vincent Taylor and getting into what he can offer to the Miami Dolphins, he's going to be a force on special teams in college, he blocked five kicks, field goal kicks, in his college career. And, and the main Great point. For, because he has huge hands, right? And when you have huge hands, you know yeah. what they say about other stuff, right? You have huge um, gloves. And yeah. I'm not going to go any further than that, okay? So <laughs> this show just went off the rails. This show well, just yeah, went Darren off. Rizzi's going to give him that death. I wasn't saying anything. It was there. the two of you. What are you guys talking about getting hands for? So no, he's he's going he's going to be a force on special teams. You're going to see him line up in the middle, and and he's going to start <laughs> off there, and then we'll see how how he develops along. Listen, we're all excited about these draft picks, right? We're all excited about these draft picks, but the re- simple reality is this: probably all half this class will be a bust, and they won't be on the team in three years. As crazy as that sounds right now, I'm going to get real depressing here for a second, okay? And I'm going to go back to when Jeff Ireland was running the show. And I'm going to read off some names for you, okay, from the 2013 NFL draft. And here's where we stand with with Deion Jordan. Okay. First overall, when the Dolphins traded up, they picked Deion Jordan. He had 26 tackles, if that, in his career, right, with the Miami Dolphins. Jamar Taylor, now with the Cleveland Browns. Dallas Thomas. Okay, bad. Will Davis. Will Davis. Okay, Jelani Jenkins, now with the Raiders. Deion Sims with the Chicago Bears. Mike Gillisley with the Buffalo – no, he's with the Patriots now. Caleb Sturgis and Don Jones. So when you look at this class, okay, so I'm going to take back what I said because I was going to make fun of this class. But really, Jamar Taylor is kind of doing okay in Cleveland, right? Uh, but Joe Philbin and crew screwed him up. Dallas Thomas is a lost cause. Will Davis, I don't even know where he is more. 
Jelani Jenkins, he he was decent. He had injury problems, and now he just needs a fresh start probably. Deion Sims, Adam Gase desperately wanted him back, but was not going to pay the money Chicago paid for him. Mike Gillisley was ruined by Joe Philbin and company. Uh, Caleb Sturgis was, was just a stupid pick kicker in the fifth round. And Don Jones, he was a great special teams player, but he ran into some legal tr- trouble, and they moved on from him there. So, I mean, I guess it's not a crazy class, but again, the point is half of this class probably won't be on the team in three years. And that's crazy to think about right now, right? But it's just a simple truth. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an um, inconvenient truth. So, so you're yeah. talking about this year's class? Because, I mean, comparing this year's class to any Jeff Ireland draft, I mean, that's that's a little bit – kind of hurts Tannenbaum and Greer. I mean, Jeff Ireland, he's oh, exceptionally no. bad, right? <laughs> he's pretty no, trash. I'm not, I'm not comparing them to Ireland. I'm just saying the simple reality of the NFL yeah. is that this no, you're, happened. You're right. I'm just – Jeff Ireland, he's, he is garbage. All right. I don't even think – Let me just <laughs> – yeah. So we'll that had to be it. said, though. It had to be said. It we'll does. It did. Shapes out. But I want to get to our seventh-round pick, Okay. And I think yes, this was the too. biggest steal in the entire draft when the Dolphins picked Isaiah Ford. Why was he the biggest steal? Because on my consensus board, I had him ranked, believe it or not, you ready for this? Number 59 overall, okay, based on the average of those draft guys that we pulled together. He was a total overall value of plus 178. Just, just think about that. And the reason was That's... because he, he had some injury concerns. He had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons for Virginia Tech and also played basketball in high school, so he is an athlete. And I don't think this is your typical seventh-round pick where you're automatically thinking practice squad. I think he's going to give the guys at the back end of the roster, like Jakeem Grant, um, some a run for their money, and we'll see how it shapes up. Right, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see that. NC Money, what were the injury concerns? So, you know, when I was doing the research on him, and he's not—he's not a big receiver either, right? What what is his height? Here? He is six-two, uh, so he's—he's he's about your uh, typical size for a wide receiver. Nothing too crazy, nothing too small, but but he needs to. Um, you know, get a little stronger. And his draft projection was round four to five. Now, in terms of injury concerns, there were were scouts who thought that he wouldn't be able to hold up in the NFL because he's only 94 pounds, so the physicality there. And basically the book on him is that he needs to gain weight because he has a very thin frame. So so not so so much – that he was injured often in college. The projection is if he doesn't get bigger when he goes to the NFL, I think he's going to have a very tough time surviving up there. I think that was the main concern with that. Yeah, I think, and I think kind of what you're getting at is it seemed like separation might be an issue in the NFL. With You know, he seemed like a great route runner, but also at the same time doesn't seem like he necessarily gets – great separation even in college, so you would assume that that margin is going to be a little bit smaller in the NFL. But at the same time, like you said, he's a seventh-round draft pick that on tape, he does not look like a seventh-round draft pick. I mean, this guy made 
tough catches and double coverage. I mean, has good body position, good balance. Seems more like a possession receiver, but he can certainly push Leontay Carew. And, I mean, I know we sacrifice a third and fourth rounder for him, but if Isaiah Ford beats him out fair and square, I mean, how are you going to – how are you going to phase him out? So that's going to be a loaded wide receiver room. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you have yeah. Bills, Landry, Parker, Carew. You have Isaiah Ford. You have Jakeem Grant. You have Rashawn Scott. So where, you know, what direction do the Dolphins go in? That's going to be a very interesting training camp storyline. Yeah. yeah. Well, for, for me, I think, I mean, this – our wide receiver group, it's loaded. I think the value, like like uh, Kanata said at the seventh round, that was huge. I mean, you see what he did in, in college at Virginia Tech in 2015, 75 receptions, 1,164 yards, 11 touchdowns. The next year, 79 receptions, 1,094 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, based – I'm no guru. You guys are going to – you try to throw that on me I, I, I don't know shit about anything but I mean for me <laughs> watching the tape on Isaiah Ford I I've been saying it a little bit I've kind of been alluding at it on Twitter I, I think he can be King Grant I mean Grant his speed's there he's good at returning kicks uh he had some trouble last year but for me Isaiah Ford I mean he's a much better wide receiver like uh like someone said big fan of crew here but I mean what Isaiah Ford much more college, polished yeah, what Isaiah Ford did in college, he's he was number one there. And, I mean, I think he can come in here. He can definitely compete with the rest of the group. And, I mean, he's not going to beat out a guy like Landry or uh, Parker no, or even no, Stills. No but, I mean, to, to throw him in there, I mean, this guy's 21 years old. To, to get him in the seventh round, that's a huge get. And, for me, I think the big playability is there. I, I like the route running. I like the way he uh, finds the ball in the air and comes down with those grabs, like Sutton said, in double coverage. I mean – He's a playmaker, and I mean, I for me, I, I don't see him making a practice. I, I don't see any reason in the world why he not the, the starting roster. So for me, Isaiah Ford, I'm a big fan of him, and I, I like what I saw him do in college. Yeah, we'll have to see how it shakes out. You know, there's a way to go. There's injuries. There's people who regress. There's people who progress. There's people who, you know, who just fall off the face of the earth. And and you never know when that opportunity is going to come knocking. All right, we have a caller on hold. We're going to bring them on online. Who are you? What is your name? And why are you calling FinFighter Radio? Um, this is Dolphin Fan for Life. Crystal, my boy. What up? What up? What's up? What's up, bro? Not much. Um, I was actually calling about who you guys were just talking about. Um. Honestly, I see the wide receiver group fitting kind of like this, Stills and Grant, uh, Carew and Landry and Parker and Ford. I think that if somebody gets a hamstring again, Parker, we wind up seeing Ford being able to fit in rather nicely and I understand they're talking up Parker something big but something tells me that that could be for trade my question is um, what exactly do you think possessed us to take 
a wide receiver in the seventh? Was it just the fact that he was a good steal, or do you think yeah, two, three years down the road we I actually have a plan for him? I'm going to put you on hold, Christoph, while we answer the question. I'm going to take this one because I think the answer is very clear. He was ranked number 59 on my consensus board, which is an average of four draft guys put together. And, by the way, our phone lines are blowing up right now. Uh, he was a plus 178. That is, if I sort this data right now and I'm in Excel, and I'm going to highlight all this data, I'm going to click data, I'm going to click sort, and I'm going to click rank difference, okay? And then I'm going to click largest to smallest. And here's what's going to pop up for me. Isaiah Ford, the biggest steal in the entire draft based on my consensus board. Not even close. 178 plus. Next in line, Caleb Brantley, 135. Okay? And you can't even look at Caleb because the only reason why he dropped is because of his legal issues. Next after that, 116. Bucky Hodges, tight end, who went uh, in the sixth round, number two on one overall. So, really, I'm going to look at that, right? 178 minus 116 plus 62 points. Okay, Isaiah Ford. That's like two rounds. That's two full rounds right there. Yeah, Isaiah Ford was the best player on the board at that time. Listen, inside the pylon gave him an 8 out of 10. Ian Wharton gave him a 7.5 out of 10. Optimum Scouting, an 8.5 out of 10. Dane Brugler, an 8 out of 10. This dude dropped so much for whatever reason. And the Dolphins just scooped them up. That is the reason why they drafted a wide receiver in the seventh round. Christoph, thank you for calling. It was great to hear from you once again. We're going to bring the next caller on the line. Who are you? What is your name? And what can we help you with? Hello. Welcome to Finsider Radio. Hi. Is this Kai? What's Kai? Um, is it me? I don't know. Who are you? All right. Sorry, guys. I'm a little bit behind. This is Justin. B-O-E-L-L-Dibbles, yeah. whatever. I said yes, I'd be Justin, calling in for calling. you guys' sake. <laughs> um, I was just looking at the wide receivers and thinking, I mean, we have our big three with Landry, Stills, and Parker. Do you think Jakeem makes the grant or the, the team by default just for his special teams ability? Jakeem makes the grant. All right, I'm going to put you on hold, Justin. Thank you for calling. It is good to hear from you once again. I know you called in. A few weeks ago. Am I correct? Yeah. All right. So I do have the right, Justin. So good to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Sutton because he is our kick returner guru. And he studies <laughs> kick returners like no he's one returned kicks his whole life. So, so, yeah, he has been returning Dude, kicks. That's why I'm, he has four kids. This is why he has four MC kids. Mon- MC Money. And how can yeah. I have talked about this? MC Money is the guru of gurus. So he knows. Yeah. He knows which people are gurus at each specific ability. So the fact that you have that knowledge is just it's huge amazing, for right? this program, MC Money. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I know you, guys all, I know you guys all want to be like me when you grow up, but you got a little bit to go, and, and you'll get there, and I will give you tips along the way. All right, anyway, can I just, you help I, my I boy just, Justin just, here answer the question? <laughs> I love that we can be your protege. I mean, it's just such an honor. But anyway, um, Jakeem Grant, no, I don't think special teams is his savior. I think Kenyon Drake is a very legitimate um, stealer of snaps there. And and Jakeem Grant is probably the one person on notice right now by this Isaiah Ford move because Jakeem Grant did not show that he, other than being a decoy last year, 
um, was confident with the ball in his hands. So it's been nice to see that he's doing some off-season training with Matt Darr, and he's going to be feeling some punts and hopefully getting over that hurdle there. But what I saw in his rookie year does not save him this year. So I think it's going to be a very real competition, and I don't think that special teams necessarily save him. Listen, I think Clyde Christensen put it perfectly in his press conference, right? I think he set the expectation and he set the bar for King Grant, and I think that was a subtle message to him saying, we have high expectations for you. If you don't produce, you will not find yourself on this roster. I think he is very much in play and is a possibility to be a roster cut this, this season, and that actually plays into Rob Carew's question on Twitter. Uh, surprise cut this training camp. I think Jakeem Grant is possible uh, despite his draft status from last year. Justin, thank you for calling Finsider Radio. It was great to hear from you once again. Let's bring in our last caller, area code 774. Thank you for calling Finsider Radio. Who are you and how can we help you? Hey, what's up, guys? It's Stephen Mass again. How's it going? Good. How's it going, Stephen? Good, guys. Uh, I just had a thought on uh, Charles Harris and a question after. Um, I think everyone's kind of blown out of proportion, the people that are talking about how they're disappointed in the pick for, you know, because he's not going to be a starter right away. Um, I think at that position, you know, it's, you know, either you got someone who's a run stuffer or you got someone who's a pass rusher. Um, and they're going to play, you know, 50% of the snaps or so, you know. So look at the Giants like in 07 when they had Justin Tusk and Yuminura and all those guys, Strahan. And, you know, look at Seattle recently with Clemens, Michael Bennett, uh, Bruce Irvin, Tony McDaniel rotating guys in. So I think, you know, if he gets a sack every other game and gets like eight sacks, I mean, he's going to be in the running for defensive rookie of the year probably. So I just think a little too much stock is put in if he's going to start, if he's going to be on that first snap on the field in the first snap of the game. I don't think that's really that big of a deal. Um, and as far as my question, um, you know, this article coming out about Devontae Parker, you know, ready for a big year and whatnot. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, if by the time he leaves the Dolphins, you know, whether they sign us to another extension in a few years or it's just a rookie deal, if he never has a 1,000-yard season, is he a bust, a first-round bust? And if he is, um, you know, where does that rank for first-round busts in Dolphins history? Uh, that's all I got, man. Have a good night, guys. All right, we're going to put you on hold. Uh, Steven, thank you for calling. And, and that is a very great question. And before I pass it on, I just want to say this and about Charles Harris and the pick and the need to have a rotating defensive line. Look at the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl, right? Their defensive line, their entire defense was absolutely gassed, okay? They cannot, yeah. they couldn't do much against the Patriots in the last two quarters because the Patriots just ran so many plays. The need to have rotations now at pretty much every position except your skill positions is an absolute must. Obviously, you're not going to rotate your offensive linemen, right? But you need to rotate your defensive linemen and get them fresh throughout the game because that is the one position that takes a huge toll on, on someone's body and running back as well. Okay, so I have no problem with the Charles Harris pick. Like you said, Stephen, if he gets eight sacks in 16 games, he's going to be in the running for the rookie of the year. But what I am going to do is pass this Devontae Parker question on to our wide receiver guru, Joshua Houts. I do want to say this, and this is some uh, – inside knowledge that I didn't put on Twitter, but the Dolphins, not they want to trade Devontae Parker, but they did have preliminary 
actions and gauge the market for interest in Devontae Parker. We'll see where it goes, but that was the word on the street leading up to the NFL draft. But House, take it away. Uh, I think he would be a bust. Yes, if he doesn't get 1,000 yards in any season in his rookie contract, but House, I know you study wide receivers uh, for a and you'd rather study wide receivers than spend time with your wife. So let us know what your thoughts are on Devontae Parker. All right. Well, first, that's not true because, as everyone may know, I'm going to have a, a child, which I'm stoked on. Uh, first, let me touch on the Charles Harris thing. I mean, okay, me, so you spent so you spent two minutes with your wife before. That, it was about a minute. You took a, you took a, you took a, a break from studying wide receivers and said it's Give me two minutes and, and we'll make some babies, right? I was at, I was actually watching Jarvis Landry highlight film when it happened. I mean, it just came oh, out right away. All right, that, all right. We don't, right. We don't need to I suppose it's anyway. an acceptable diversion. Yeah, acceptable he made that one hand cast and it was out. over. It was a 30 seconds. Back, okay, back to the original question. All right, Devontae Parker. He, he would not – I mean, in my opinion, I don't think he's going to get to that point where he doesn't have a 1,000-yard season – I'm not saying that what these uh, coaches believe in is completely true. I mean, everyone likes to spin this stuff. But for me, Devontae Parker, he has all the skill set to become a number one receiver in the NFL. I think he complements Landry and Stills perfect. And I think this year, I mean, I think this will be his breakout year. If he doesn't get 1,000 yards, I mean, what if he has seven or eight touchdowns? He's still considered a bust. I don't don't think he would be. I think – no one will ever compare to Deion Jordan. He will ultimately become the biggest bust in Dolphins history. I don't think that will ever change for decades from now. I mean, Deion Jordan is uh, – I don't even want to he, – he's trash. Deion Jordan is garbage, and I don't think any of our players now or in the next coming years will ever be as big of a disappointment as Deion Jordan. I do want to touch on the Charles Harris thing. I mean, I think he was a safe pick. I said this last week. I'm a huge Taco Charlton fan. I've, I've said that for months. I, I do think the Dolphins made the right decision to go with Charles Harris. He's a pass rush specialist. His first step off the line is incredible. His spin move is his spin move is second to none. And I mean, what he's going to do this year, I mean, he, he's going to be a role player. He's going to come in. I think Andre Branch, uh, William Hayes, William Hayes is going to be in there for the run. Andre Branch against the pass. And I think Charles Harris is going to be spelled in between there. So, I mean, I don't expect him to have a huge year because he is going to just kind of be worked into things. But, I mean, I think Charles Harris was a safe pick. He was the right decision for the Dolphins. And I'm excited for the team moving forward. Uh, lastly, Devontae Parker. I, I don't think he's going to be a bust because I think this year will be his breakout season. I know people were saying he's going to be a fantasy breakout. I mean, I had him last year in fantasy, and I still end up winning the championship. So, I mean, let's hope he does more things this year. All right. Thank you, Stephen, for calling, and we appreciate your phone call. Have a great rest of the night. All right, do we have any questions in the Finsider.com live thread? Yeah, we got something from Alpha. He asked, so all draft picks are signed. How many contribute? How many become stars? And with this particular draft class, I mean, it's hard to prognosticate all this, right? Just a second. But it sure seems like, you're going to have five contributors this year. You're going to have Charles Harris doing the pass rushing thing. You're going to have Raquan McMillan playing. You're going to have Cordrea Tankersley probably getting uh, some snaps either at slot or at boundary. You're going to see Asiata competing for guard and, like you said earlier, MC Money with injuries and all that kind of stuff that you you might see him earlier than later. 
And then I think you're going to see Isaiah Ford get a couple snaps in there because I think he showed some stuff in the red zone. So you guys had talked about Devontae Parker just a little bit. He's His main point of emphasis for me this year is in the red zone. I've seen him make some plays in between the 20s. I haven't seen him make a terrible amount of plays, high catching the ball in the in the red zone, making plays for this team on a consistent basis. So that's what I want to see. All but right. stars, in terms of the draft class, it's really hard to tell at this point. I could see McMillan being a star, and I could also see Tankersley being a star. Um, and obviously Harris could be a star. So I think there could be three potential guys there. But, I mean, when you look at this draft class, you, you see kind of a high ceiling with all of these guys. So I, I think it was a nice um, boomer bust collaboration there on day three for the Dolphins as well. Yeah, no, it, it, we, like I said, everything looks great on paper now, right? But when the actual game start, we'll see how it all shakes out. Anything else from the Finsider.com live thread? No, it looks like it. Yeah. Yep. All right. We have we have one. On, we actually have two on Twitter. Uh, they're both from Bob Cruz, but we'll answer one. He wants to know one surprise cut and one surprise player to make the roster uh, this training camp. I, I said it just a while ago, and that's Isaiah Ford to make the roster. It's a 53-man roster, and Shaquem Brandt to be the surprise cut. What do you guys think? Sign. We'll yeah. start with you. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Jakeem Grant's on notice. And I think um, in terms of this particular draft class, you have to like one of the defensive tackles winning that competition and training camp and working their way into the rotation and the fourth person possibly falling off into the the, um, practice squad or just being the fourth defensive tackle depending on whether we sign a vet or not. Okay. How about you, Houts? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree with you, Kanad. I, I think there's no doubt in mind. Uh, I'm going to agree with Sutton with one of them defense tackles ended up making the roster. But for me, I think Jakeem Grant, I mean, I was a huge fan of him last year. I think that speed is second to none. I don't think there's many players in the league with similar speed. I do think he needs to get better at route running and even fielding punts. So, I mean, for me, Isaiah Ford, I mean, the job is his. I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that as Isaiah Ford won't make the 53-man roster. So, for me, uh, Ford's the guy, and Grant, unfortunately, is the cut. All right, and that's going to do it for us here on Finside Radio this week. It was good to get back on track this week. I know we had uh, – sure. Yeah, it was, just good. it was just good to get back on track this week. And Love you yeah. guys. Yeah, it was great. And – we are going into the kind of uh, dull, the dull drums of the NFL season, I guess you can call it, the little laps between the draft and the start of training camp. But we're still going to be here every single week, providing you with the highest quality of entertainment you can possibly find on the internet for 45 <laughs> minutes to one hour each and every week. Between myself, certain the creepy soccer dad, and how. There's Papa House and House with the white van handing out candy to the little kid on the corner. I don't have a van. I do not have right. a van. I mean, I mean, that's us. And, and we're going to be here, and we want you to be here too. And we're going to have a lot of fun uh, as we go on. Getting emotional now, so we're just going to cut the show right here. Anything else, boys, before we hang <laughs> up? 
Yeah, I just want to, I mean, you both are being emotional. I just want to say I love you both so much. You guys are great. (laughs) And how about you? Yeah, I just want to say congrats to both of you guys for the upcoming additions to the family. And um, let me know if there's any advice you guys need, whether that be minivan-based or not. I'm here (laughs) for you. All right, yep, mine is due September 3rd. How's when is yours due? November 5th, Sunday Night Football against the Raiders. All right, so how's got, how's got November 5th? I'm I'm not due. My wife is due September 3rd, and we're going to just have a hell of a football season with two newborns. Right, we, are going, Met, we are going to MetLife Takeover, right? We're, we're all going to do that. Absolutely. All right, all right that's going to be happening too. on Insider Radio. Thank you for joining us. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Same time, same location. Take care. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.